This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Friday. We have survived yet another week in Biden's America. Congratulations. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Our email address here at the show is Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. I read them all, I see them all. So send me one so I can read yours. I might read yours on the air. All right, big show to close out the week today. Uh, Today, I want to deal with a story that I think has begun to blow the lid off of the corruption around the 2020 election. We have reported on and we have seen a number of really huge stories uh, surrounding the depth of the fraud in 2020. We talked to Dinesh D'Souza about his book and film, 2,000 Mules, about all of the vote trafficking that was going on. We spoke to Molly Hemingway about her book, Rigged. Also, David Bossy was a similar uh, investigation into the Mark Zuckerberg multi-multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that came into swing districts and swing states last time to try to throw the election to Joe Biden, and they succeeded. They succeeded. But this story that just broke in the last like 24 hours or so is absolutely unreal and it is very, very dangerous. All of these stories involve our national security. 
because they involve who we elect as President of the United States and Commander-in-Chief. But this particular story takes that national security danger and puts it on steroids. Also today, I was in California for most of this week, and it was absolutely fascinating, disturbing, mind-blowing in a lot of ways. I'm going to tell you about my trip to California, so you're not going to want to miss that. And we're also going to talk with the brilliant Chadwick Moore about his hilarious new book, which is also a very important book, given where we are. The book is called, So You've Been Sent to Diversity Training. And it really takes apart this whole diversity madness in a very humorous way, but with a very important message. So you're not going to want to miss that either. Great stuff all ahead. But first, the Monica Memo. You know how we were told over and over and over again that the 2020 election was the cleanest, most transparent in American history? And that Joe Biden got 81 million votes and won fair and square. And Trump was going to be ushered off into the trash heap of history. And if you questioned any of this, you were an election denier, a conspiracy nut, and censored, suspended, silenced, shut down. Remember that? Well, as I have said on this show, the same deep state operatives who dreamt up and executed the Russia hoax against their political opponent, who then became the sitting president, and two fake impeachments against him, and the January 6th set up to frame him, and the recent stupid document dispute, all in an effort to stop him and the America First movement because they are existential threats to their despotic grip on absolute power. These same deep state conspirators of course, rig the 2020 election. Of course they did to continue their mission to stop Donald Trump and the America First movement. Why would we think that they wouldn't have done that? Of course they did. They have smeared all of us who have had serious, legitimate questions about that election as deniers and conspiracy theorists which they always do when we are right and when we're on to them. They have to discredit us and and everything that we say about their lies and their operations to undermine the country and basically target us. They attack when they know that we are exposing them. And of course, they've got their wingmen in the propaganda press cover for their crimes and advance their lies. They've got quite the racket going. So a big part of what they have been covering up has been on the digital side of the election, the computer systems in many states, and how those votes were dealt with and how those systems worked. There are big lawsuits around that question. Now we get a story, courtesy of the New York Times, which seems to be the primary repository for all of the deep states' leaks and things. Uh, from the FBI, from the DOJ, from the NSA, from the CIA. They go right to the New York Times. So that tells you, I mean, the Washington Post, they're all bad, but the New York Times really seems to be the point paper 
They seem to be the point people for this deep state operation when they want to plant certain stories or get in front of certain things or expose certain things. They all run to the New York Times. So we get this story over the last like day or so that blows the lid off of one huge aspect to this involving, you guessed it, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. But don't raise any questions about whether China was corrupting our election. The guy running for re-election for president was just the only American president to ever take on China head-on. But don't you dare ask any questions about whether China interfered in our election to stop him and or worked with our own corrupt FBI to do it. Can't ask those questions. You're a conspiracy nut. Well, now, this week we got this story from the New York Times that had a shorter lifespan than a fruit fly. On October 3rd, the New York Times had this headline, okay? Now, just remember, this is just last week, October 3rd, how a tiny elections company became a conspiracy theory target. And then the subtitle, election deniers, there we are, catapulted a Michigan firm with just 21 U.S. employees to the center of unfounded voter fraud claims, exposing it to vicious threats. And here's how the article starts by one Stuart Thompson at the Times, who is a, quote, specialist in misinformation. Yeah, his specialty is taking it from our own government and putting it into print at their request to weaponize it against us. He is a professional liar spreader. All right, here's what he writes. At an invitation-only conference in August at a secret location southeast of Phoenix, a group of election deniers, there we are again, unspooled a new conspiracy theory, there it is, about the 2020 presidential outcome. Using threadbare evidence, or none at all, the group suggested that a small American election software company, Connick, had secret ties to the Chinese Communist Party and had given the Chinese government backdoor access to personal data about 2 million poll workers in the United States, according to online accounts from several people at the conference. Okay, so that's... October 3rd in the New York Times said, it's all crazy. And if you believe this, you're just a nut. Conspiracy theorist, election denier. This is getting as, as bad a smear as racist, right? So the very next day, after this story rides on the internet and on, on you know, going around the world for 24 hours, the very next day, October 4th, the New York Times reverses course and had to report this. Here's the headline. Election software executive arrested on suspicion of theft. The executive Eugene Yu and his firm Connick have been a focus of attention among election deniers. So now they're going to report the story that the CEO has been arrested for theft, but still in the subtitle, they still have to go with the election deniers. Again, they're covering up the big lie. The big lie is the big lie. So they go then on to the story about the arrest. 
So let's let's just recap what some of these facts are, okay? Because these criminal charges coming out of California against this chief executive of this software company said to be tied to China, obviously, is a five-alarm national security fire. And this is why, of course, they have to bury this. Connick, this company, had a $2.9 million five-year contract to supply and maintain the software used in managing Los Angeles County election poll workers. Connick is based in Michigan. It developed software to manage election logistics, such as scheduling poll workers. The company previously denied that it kept records anywhere outside the United States. So they've already lied when they said, oh, no, we keep everything here at home. Wrong. A press release issued Tuesday by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office said that investigators, quote, found that in contradiction to the contract, information was stored on servers in the People's Republic of China. Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon, he is a George Soros progressive and an absolute nightmare on everything else, said, quote, this investigation is concerned solely with the personal identifying information of election workers. In this case, the alleged conduct had no impact on the tabulation of votes and did not alter election results. How do they know? See, they're, they're spinning. They've got the crime here but they're still spinning on the election. He added, but security in all aspects of any election is essential so that we have full faith in the integrity of our election process. Guys, Connex's website touts its products as, quote, used by thousands of election offices across North America. At the top of the company's landing page on their uh, website, it says, quote, streamline your election management process and save your staff time and money with our industry-leading software products. At Connick, election logistics software is all we do. And then it goes on to say, for nearly 20 years, so they've been at this two decades, God knows how long with China. For nearly 20 years, we have been refining our software solutions based on feedback and advice from the election managers we partner with. You mean like China? And can confidently say that our technology is among the most effective, nuanced, and cost-saving in the industry. Our founder and president, Eugene Yu, that's the guy who was just arrested, guys, has implemented a client-centered approach. Is the client China? We listen to what you need in a system and we'll configure and customize our products so that you receive the exact solution you need. I wonder if it's customized for the exact solution China needs. Yu was born in China. He emigrated to the United States in 1986, according to Newsweek. His company has 21 employees in America, six in Australia, and Connick has 32 clients in North America. Their main product is something called Poll Chief Software, an election worker management system used by local governments to assist with poll worker assignments, communications, and payroll. Poll Chief requires employees to submit personal identifying information, which is retained by Connick. Where? Here or in China? 
So guys, obviously this raises a ton of questions and a ton of five alarm concerns, primarily because we don't know yet the extent of the information that was downloaded or stolen, whether it involved other election-related databases, to what extent those databases have been compromised by China and God knows who else, and what changes or manipulations of the, uh, of the entire system has gone on here. We have no idea. And the press just did this one hit and run, and then they ran away. So to recap where we are on this story, and again, I am bringing it to you because the New York Times did a hit and run, a couple of others picked it up, but that was it. And you never heard from it again, nor will you. So they had to report it because a guy got arrested, but now they've buried it. So to recap, and let's put this in a bigger perspective, on October 3rd, the New York Times ran propaganda for Connick for this company. This was probably at the direction of the FBI. They run the story saying, oh, you know, the, the election deniers and conspiracy nuts went to smear this company. So they run the propaganda for the company. Again, probably at the direction of the corrupt FBI. The very next day, local law enforcement in Los Angeles, in California, arrested Connick's CEO, this guy Eugene Yu, who was born in China. This suggests that the FBI was covering up a crime and local police said, no, we're going to move on this. We're going to take it out of your hands and we're going to move on this. The question is why? Think about the timing on this. The timing of the first story points to the FBI knowing that local law enforcement was going to move on this company. And the FBI used its PR firm, the New York Times, to front run the arrest get in front of this story, spin it as a a propaganda, right-wing, crazy conspiracy thing so that when the actual news about the arrest came out, you know, they were in front of it and they could put a gloss on it. But why? What's, What's the bigger question here? Ask yourself, with any case, who benefits? Who benefits? Whenever you see a crime or political spin like this, ask yourself who benefits. What is the FBI trying to cover up? Let's remember, guys, one of Bill Barr's main arguments against corruption in the 2020 elections, remember he told us that he looked at it, the DOJ and the FBI were all over it, and that the FBI didn't produce any evidence of corruption. Remember that? That's the same FBI that buried Hunter Biden's story, the laptop story, and all of the Tony Bobulinski evidence surrounding the Biden crime family. And of course, all of their crimes from targeting Donald Trump to targeting parents to to now targeting pro-life churches and ministers and and centers, pro-life pregnancy centers. This is the same FBI, okay? Shot through with deep, deep corruption. This story, I think, is just the tip of the iceberg, Was the FBI working with this company and maybe others to pass along critical election information to China? Remember, this is all about poll workers and their personal identifying information. 
So was the FBI passing on this information to China and then allowing China then to do deep dives into these people to see who could be compromised, to see who could be blackmailed, extorted to throw the 2020 election? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's a theory. It's a conspiracy theory. Was the FBI working hand in glove with the CCP to stop Trump? Because he was targeting China. That's what the release of the virus was all about. They shut down the global economy to stop one man. You don't think that they would work with China on the election to do the same? Of course. They released a virus, shut down the economy, stood up BLM and Antifa to burn the country down. You don't think that they would work with China to make sure the election was rigged? Come on. The corruption runs so deep. We need a full accounting of this. And the deeper and more widespread criminal acts involving the last election, or we will have no country. The lies and corruption are so insidious that we're nearly already there. We must stay in the hunt for truth and be unafraid to do it. That's us, you and me, and all of us who have stood up and asked legit questions about their corruption. They don't like that. They like to stay in the dark with their sleazy lies and deep state corruption. But this is our country. We the people. And we the people say no to them hijacking it from us. And we will take it back. Starting on November 8th, we will take our own country back. All right, we got more on this. Speaking of California, I'm going to tell you about my trip there and what I saw. So sit tight for that. Plus, we've got the great and brilliant and funny Chadwick Moore coming up with his new book, So They've Sent You to Diversity Training. (laughs) We're going to have a great conversation with him. So do not go anywhere. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com. 
fieldofgreens.com. Okay, guys, welcome back. As many of you know, because I was talking about it on the show and tweeting about it and truth socialing about it as well, I went to California this week. Now, I haven't been to California mm, in a long time, many, many years, many years, a handful of years at least. But I went because I did two events at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Birthplace in Yorba Linda, California. Southern California, probably if you're landing at LAX, probably an hour, hour and a half with traffic um, due west, due southwest of LAX. In any case, the Richard Nixon Library and Birthplace is an absolutely beautiful museum. It's a great place to do archival research if you're interested in Nixon's life and career. But they have renovated the library um, just in the last couple of years, and it's just spectacular. So I had not seen the library since, um, well, since I was there last a couple of years ago. So I had not seen the new renovation. I'm telling you, if you find yourself in Southern California, it is a must. It is a must visit. It is that good. And you know, the, the grounds are beautiful. They have the actual birthplace where Richard Nixon was born. They actually have the house with the authentic furniture in there. I think he was born 1913. 1917, not sure, but, um, but they have the actual furniture and you can go into the, into the little one bedroom house, two bedroom house, but it was little tiny clapboard structure. They have that there. And of course the final resting places of both president Nixon and the former first lady, Pat Nixon and the library, the grounds are gorgeous. They, they do weddings there and things like that because it's so beautiful, but the actual library in terms of the exhibits and the film that you see when you first walk in, it's just so beautifully done. It really is. It's, it's a beautiful love letter to President Nixon and his life and career and impact on the country and the world. So I encourage everybody to, to go and check it out. So I went to California to do two events there. One uh, was the Nixon Seminar, which we do every month. It is led by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. And we have this really interesting discussion once a month about a certain foreign policy problem or concern in the world. And we break it all apart. That is live streamed um, every month when we do it on the Nixon Foundation website. It's nixonfoundation.org. And then the next night... Um, we did, so we did that in person. And then the next night I did my own talk at the Nixon library, very special evening with Monica Crowley. (laughs) And it was, it was an absolutely extraordinary night with a fantastic crowd in Southern California. There are actually conservatives still there. And you know what? And one of these dinners, I was seated next to former California governor, Pete Wilson, who I consider the last Republican governor of California because Schwarzenegger doesn't really count. So Pete Wilson was the last true Republican governor of California. He's about 88 now, looks amazing, uh, right on point and as active as ever. And we just had a lovely conversation. But one of the things that we talked about was how California has so declined even just in the last couple of years from when I was there last, and I saw it with my own eyes, the left has taken an absolutely beautiful state and destroyed it like they do with everything they touch. 
And if you are in Illinois or New York State, as I'm sitting in New York right now, because I'm back, but they take these absolutely spectacular, breathtaking states and they destroy them. This is true for communists around the world. They will take a beautiful country and absolutely run it into the ground. Look at North Korea. Look at Cuba. Places with great people, industrious people, great natural resources, and they just take it off a cliff. And they do it on purpose. And we've got it here in the microcosms of New York and California and Illinois and Massachusetts. But this is what they do. This is what they specialize in. They hate physical beauty and they hate when things are prosperous thanks to free market economics. Hate it. And they don't want you to be happy, of course, because that's all, that's all part of the calculation. They seek to extinguish joy. It's all part of it. So again, um, I hadn't been to California in a number of years. And on this trip, I saw some, but not the depth of the crime and homelessness. I drove through certain neighborhoods and areas. I didn't see a lot of it, but I did see some of it. And it is everywhere. It's in every pocket, certainly where I was in, in the Los Angeles and greater LA area. While Governor Hairdo runs around banning doctors from telling the truth in California, preaching a climate change gospel, and presiding over $7 a gallon gas, which I saw across the state, California is completely falling apart. It's still physically beautiful. But it is a dystopian communist hellscape for the people who live there. And that's why people are fleeing in droves. So are big companies. California's tax base is taking a powder and fleeing to places like Arizona, Nevada, Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Big companies. So how is Governor Hairdo and his fellow communists going to finance their whole neo-Marxist utopia when the real money is all leaving the state? These deep blue states are really shocking how bad they are when you go there. Shocking. And what's even more shocking is that it's all intentional. The differences could not be more stark. Red states are thriving. People are free. Their economies are are firing on all cylinders. And the blue states are in a nosedive with stagnant economies dragging the whole country down. Mandates, sky-high gas prices, high unemployment, high crime, high violent crime, unbelievable homelessness, which is a human uh, catastrophe, as I saw in the streets of Los Angeles. It is all just... A nightmare, but this is what communists do. Remember, communists always sell their vision of utopia where everyone will be equal. What they don't tell you is everyone is equal at the barrel of a gun. That's number one, because you gotta force human nature in that direction. Doesn't come naturally because we all have different gifts. We're all inherently unequal. But they romanticize the idea of equality. And then, you know, the other reason, too, is that uh, they're not equal. They sit above everybody. They never give up power. And the third point about this is communism delivers equality for sure, but it's an equal share of poverty and misery. And the people at the top, the vanguard, they want you miserable. 
Because if you're miserable, you're dispirited and discouraged. And if you're that, then you're much more easily controlled. It's exactly what's going on in California, New York, and other other states around the country that are being driven into the ground by the left. It's time for a change. In New York, we've actually got a shot. The polls are closing for the gubernatorial race with our friend Lee Zeldin catching up to uh, that demented, despotic menace, Kathy Hochul. And we also have an attorney general race where the Republican is actually one point ahead of Letitia James, who's spending all of her time as attorney general in New York, going after Donald Trump when people are dying on the streets. There's an opportunity for real change here, guys. And it's coming soon. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the fantastic and very funny Chadwick Moore about his new book. But first, I want to take a moment to welcome a brand new sponsor, Nutrafol. Ladies, we all want to look and feel our best, and our hair is such an important part of that, right? Our hair is our crowning glory. But did you know that 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them, please know that you are not alone and that there's a solution out there you can really trust to deliver results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol is a simple addition to your daily routine. Just four pills a day, and you will begin to experience thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair in just three to six months. As Nutrafol's powerful ingredients bring your body back into balance, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and better skin and nails. And when you subscribe, you'll receive automatic monthly deliveries so you'll never miss a dose. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MONICA to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order, and you can't beat that. Get 15 bucks off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Nutrafol.com, and use the promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. Well, I am absolutely overjoyed to welcome back to the Monica Crowley podcast, my very good friend, Chadwick Moore, who is one of the smartest, hippest, coolest commentators out there. You can find all of his fun, savvy columns at spectatorworld.com. But Chadwick also has out a new, terrific book. It's very funny, but it's also really important. It's called, So You've Been Sent to Diversity Training. Smiling Through the DEI Apocalypse. It is out now. You can get it on Amazon, any bookstore. You can also check him out at chadwickmore.com. And of course, you see him on Tucker Carlson and Greg Gutfeld. And now he is here with me. Chadwick, welcome. Hey, Monica. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's always great fun to have you here, Chadwick. And again, congratulations on this book. It's called So You've Been Sent to Diversity Training. I absolutely love this book. You were kind enough to send me a copy and I dove right into it because I knew I wanted to have you back on the show to talk about it. Literally, and I texted you this, literally page one, 
I was laughing out loud, not once, but twice, from the very funny words on the page. I, they were just jumping out at me, and I could not contain myself. I, th- I think I was like in a public place, too, and I was laughing out loud, and people thought I was a nut, but it didn't matter because I had the book, and it was just, I devoured it. It's so, so good. So congratulations on it. I know it's a big hit. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, we, we have to laugh. You know, I've, I've been a strong believer in that because otherwise you're going to drive yourself insane. You know, you have to be able to point and laugh at these people and, and, and the ridiculousness that's that's unfolding all around us and has been for quite some time. Uh, so so if I can help people maybe just feel a little better um, and, uh, and and relax a little bit because, you know, you can drive yourself insane. Then, um, then you know that's uh, then I'm honored to be able to help do that. Well, mission accomplished. And you know what's so critical about that point that you've made here, Chadwick, but also all throughout the book, in in terms of it being very, very funny. I was just out in California, and I did the Babylon Bee podcast, which is coming out soon. And I'm huge fans of the Babylon Bee. One of the points that I was making to them, and this applies to you and your book, is that. It's a long past time that we held up a mirror to the left and started using their tactics against them. I'm not talking about the violence or breaking the law or cheating and lying and all the other insane stuff that they do. But I am talking about, you know, their top line tactics need to be weaponized and turned against them. The critical one that Saul Alinsky spoke about, he's the godfather of community organizing and the godfather of the modern modern left. The one thing that was so critical that he talked about among many was using humor, using mockery to weaponizing it against your political enemies as a way to humiliate them and therefore cow them into silence. So Alinsky preached this all the time, use mockery against your opponents. And the left has done that for a long time because they control the culture too, Chadwick, with the late night shows, except for Gutfeld and Hollywood and the quote unquote comedies that they put out and so on. They're constantly sticking it to us. When you mock someone, there's no comeback, right? You can't because you end up looking like a little kid with their, you know, punching the air kind of thing. There's no comeback to mockery. So what the Babylon Bee does, what you do brilliantly in this book is you weaponize mockery against the other side in order to disarm and silence them. And I think that was an absolutely spectacular tactic. Yeah. And, and is the Babylon Bee still suspended from Twitter? Yes. Or did they get that? Yeah. And isn't that, doesn't that tell you everything that so many of those cultural warriors who were so effective and so brilliant at mocking and humiliating the left were kicked out of the public square, you know, not just Babylon Bee, obviously President Trump being the largest one. And President Trump really uh, gave so many people the strength and inspiration to mock and laugh at the left. And, you know, President Trump is hilarious. If, if anyone who ever meets him, and, and I've, I've never personally met him, I look forward to hopefully one day, but they always comment about how funny he is in real life. And, uh, but not just President Trump, look at people like Milo Yiannopoulos or, you know, even Alex Jones, who's like, you know, you can think he's ridiculous or whatever. He's really entertaining and really hilarious. The left can't have those people out there in the public square because mockery is so effective. And this is so also coincided with the left being so drunk on power for so many decades and becoming so lazy 
and and really not uh, producing any cultural products that are interesting, funny, or entertaining. Just look at their comedians. You know, the best comedians we have out there right now are ones who make mockeries of the left. Look at Dave Chappelle, who's obviously been around forever, but has had a very very strong comeback. Ricky Gervais. Um, you you all the best stand up specials that are streaming right now are successful because they're so effective at, at ridiculing the left. And it drives them absolutely insane. They're not accustomed to being the butt of jokes. They're accustomed to being the bullies and the ones mocking the other side. Uh, and, and, and they don't know what to do with it. And it's, right. it's, it's also confounded with their, their positions being indefensible and absolutely ridiculous. And then being cornered into defending the most atrocious and uh, nonsensical uh, 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 policies and and positions that they could possibly take. I mean, you know, transgenderism is sort of the third rail. You are not allowed to mock anything to do with gender ideology. And you find them uh, uh, being cowering in silence when, uh, I said this on Tucker once, you know, when it comes to the whole trench, I'm not, you know, a fan of targeting any one person or making them feel bad about themselves or what they're going through unless they are, are doing the same to other people. But this ideology is so repellent it makes so it makes such little sense that um it's right for jokes and and you know and and even the the ability that the left has lost to laugh at themselves i think is one of the biggest uh one of their biggest downfalls uh, i think that the right we still can laugh at ourselves a lot and 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 plenty and you know it, there are good jokes to be made about either side the left has become too serious they become puritanical they become finger wagging nannies and uh, uh, that is really to their detriment. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it makes total sense when you think about the left in this country, Chadwick, has now become fully neo-communist. This is a neo-Marxist revolution that we're living through, accompanied by fascist tactics, of course. But this is a, a, a fourth industrial revolution, neo-Marxist revolution that we're going through. Communists have never had a sense of humor. It's not like Vladimir Lenin got off the train at Finland Station and started doing stand-up, okay? Communists. <laughs> Communists are very, very serious. There is no sense of humor. They will weaponize it to humiliate our side, anybody who stands in their way. But they themselves are com- completely humorless prigs. And, uh, and, and therefore, you know, that's why you see late night. Gutfeld is thriving, of course, but the others have become po- totally political and the messaging is all neo-communist. And of course, they can't show any humor because they, they've lost it. It is gone because the ideological agenda trumps everything. And they've got such a seriousness of purpose about this ideological jihad in remaking the country, remaking the West, that there is no time or space for humor. And that now opens up a huge avenue for us and for people like you with this very funny book. Let's talk about it. Again, the book is called, So You've Been Sent to Diversity Training. Now, why did you, because you write about a lot of subjects at Spectator World and talk about a lot of subjects on Fox, why did you decide that you wanted to tackle the diversity, equity, and inclusion monster? <laughs> well, I had originally, so, you know, I thought there's something really good here. This is something that basically every worker in America has had to go through, this DEI training, uh, which used to be called just DI, diversity and inclusion. And uh, the E was sort of sneaking its way in. Basically, everyone I talked to for this book said immediately after the 2020 election, their diversity and inclusion office became diversity, equity and inclusion. Equity being a big part of the Biden agenda. Uh, it's a word that 
sounds very close to equality. So most people think that they're interchangeable when in fact they are, they're the exact opposite of one another. Equity is, is the opposite of equality. Uh, and um, I just thought, you know, if, if magazines like the New Yorker or the Atlantic were still doing good content, entertaining um, reporting, they would have done a story on DEI training by now. And I thought, well, I should do one on DEI training. And then I thought, but this is, you know, this is a book. This isn't a magazine article because, you know, there's a lot here. And, uh, I, you know, it, it became one of those things that I just thought whenever you look at something as that, it, it seems almost mundane. Almost everyone I talked to was saying, you know, I talked to workers from across the economy. I talked to, you know, guys on oil rigs, police officers, military uh, secretaries, guys who work in IT. And, uh, you know, at first it was sort of like, well, I don't know why you want to hear about this stuff. It's, you know, it's kind of boring. It's not really interesting. And then they start to remember what they went through. They start to talk about their experiences and they become increasingly incensed or just amused. And, and they realize, yeah, this was really kind of screwed up. And wait, and I remember this happening in my office and this happened. It's something we become so anesthetized to. And yet it, it stems from a really evil and wicked philosophy. And what we saw is, is where it may have seemed kind of innocuous. After the summer of our Floyd, the DEI offices across the country immediately jumped into critical race theory, whereas before it may have been kind of maybe a part of it, it became very much a part of the DEI curriculum. And this stuff has no place in, in, on the job, really, for most people. And it's, it's, it's just amazing to realize how much the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated, has completely gone out the window. And we have people being forced on their jobs, subjected to this tedious haranguing by a stranger about lecturing them on ideas of race and gender that basically any adult living in a very complex, very diverse society, which we do in America, has just picked up along the way. So it's no longer just about be nice to the person at the cubicle next to you. It is instead uh, it's leftist philosophizing. It's the communism that you were talking about being injected into the workplace. And it's, it's uh, really, I knew that when I looked into this, it would, I would find some really entertaining and, and, and gems to mock the left on, but also it gets really ugly, you know, especially my chapter on the military, when you see what the, what the Biden administration is doing to service members, the training they're going through to quote, root out extremism, the Biden administration had, um, uh, as as your listeners are called, a day of stand down after January 6th to lecture the entire force on um, um, rooting out extremism within their ranks and, and white nationalism and these sort of mythical creatures that don't really exist in any measurable level in our society. So it, it's it's uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's entertaining, but it's also very dark. Uh, and and the and the the way in which American society as a whole is capitulated to this ideology is really something we should all be aware of, and that we should push back against when it's appropriate. Absolutely, and you know, there's so much to unpack in what you just said there, uh, Chadwick. The the danger aspect to this, you know, when you've got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, who went in front of Congress and said, "I want to understand white rage, and I'm white." 
Um, when yeah. his job is not to do that. And in fact, the military, um, you look at the NFL, you know, for decades, they were the most integrated uh, uh, institutions in the country, right? And it was all merit-based and, uh, and, and there was no racial animus there, at least not systematically or in terms of the institutions. It was all, you're there because you're good. You're there because you want to serve. And they were brilliant examples of racial integration and harmony, you right, for the most part. And now we've Absolutely. got right, we've got all these institutions that are shot through with this nonsense, which really is a form of cultural Marxism. Now it's one thing if Sony is doing this DEI nonsense, but it's another thing entirely if the US military is doing it because it is going to cripple our ability. The military's got one job and that's to fight and kill the enemy and win, win wars. If they're stuck in DEI training and everybody is looking over their shoulder and everybody's afraid to, to speak or to act because of a, they're so worried about how it's going to be perceived, that is going to cripple our ability to maintain our superpower status and the safety and security of the American people. Right. And and if you look at, you know, we, we talk about how the left controls all of the institutions in our society from Hollywood, academia, the media, uh, big tech. And if, but if you look at the cultural and professional institutions that the right had a stronghold in, so the two, you know, two of the top ones were professional sports and the military. Look what's happening now. The left is coming for both of those things full force. We right. see with professional sports with the whole take a knee and, and the, you know, sports teams becoming woke and, you know, rainbow jerseys and whatever. And then you have the military Biden going headstrong in this ideological purge, which of course the vaccine mandate was a big part of. You know, if you want to identify someone who isn't a liberal, uh, it's they're probably not vaccinated. And that's how you can get rid of them in the military. It, it's really it's uh, they, they are hell bent on controlling those two aspects. Interestingly, DEI training or diversity training started in the U.S. military and it started during uh, the, the civil rights era where basically once integration was happening in all aspects of society, the military was sort of worried that there might be problems in the military with the races getting along. So they started this, this is, they started DEI training, uh, uh, diversity training in the military, and they put a stop to it because the way they were conducting it is they were having things called confrontation seminars. And I write about this in the book where they would put a white person and a black person in their room together and basically have them yell at each other and uh, say everything they didn't like about the other race and all the stereotypes. And what they found was this was making people more racist and more uh, um, agitated towards the other races. So they stopped the training. But by this point, academia had picked up on it and academia became really interested in this subject. And then you had the 1970s where, where, um, where diversity training uh, didn't just become about black and white, but they integrated feminism into it and gender. In the 80s and 90s, they integrated LGBT, or well, rather just LG, gays and lesbians. And then, of course, now in the 20-teens and 2020s, gender diversity, transgenderism has entered into the curriculum. But the military, initially, as I said, they realized that this was a bad thing, that the, the military is actually a cohesive unit. Like you said, you talk to anyone in in, in the service, anyone who's in service and you know, they'll tell you that you're not going to be uh, racist. When you're in the, in the foxhole with someone, you're not going to care about the color of their skin next to you. Everyone's sort of brothers in arms. Um, but it, it ran away in the, in the, in the, in the uh, academy. And now it's infecting corporate life and everything else. President Biden has made this a very big part of his agenda. So if you recall, it, President Trump actually signed an executive order getting rid of DEI training 
and critical race theory training in federal agencies. And this happened after uh, there was a, a whistleblower at a federal lab in New Mexico who, who documented all of these horrible things they were being taught in these disgusting books like White Fragility they were being forced to read. President Trump was um, embarrassed. This was occurring on his watch, signed an executive order to get rid of this for uh, federal uh, contractors and federal agencies. And day one, literally day one of Biden's presidency, he reversed that executive order. So this has been at the top of his agenda from the very start. And just last week, he announced that he's forming a chief executive office uh, council of diversity uh, officers. Oh, Lord of mercy. To advise him on how to best implement all of these policies into uh, federal agencies. So he's he's putting the gas on this and doubling down where President Trump saw that this had no place um, in federal agencies, and the taxpayers shouldn't be paying for this. Absolutely. And, you know, whenever Democrats are in power like this, they do exactly this because they want every government agency to have this. So so they open the doors for it. They create these uh, little offices in, and we saw it at Treasury, too, when I was there. And they burrow in and they're permanent staff. They're not political appointees that come and go with different administrations. They are careers. So they are permanently in there and then there's no way to dislodge it. So imagine a Republican president, let's say Trump, coming up next, right? And he wants to dislodge this. Now, it's going to take a president with a lot of political steel and a lot of guts and stones to do this. But the headlines are going to be, can you imagine, oh, uh, President Trump, one of the first things he's doing is ripping out all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion offices across the government. He's a raging racist, right? <laughs> now, Trump has been through this kind of critique before, and I don't think he cares. Um, but it's going to take a lot of political will and backup from the rest of us if we do get a president, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or whomever, to go into these agencies and rip all this stuff out root and branch. But it is so deeply entrenched, Chadwick. Yeah, they know, ex- and very well put, they know exactly what they're doing, and they always have the long game in mind. So you're right, these these permanent bureaucrats that they install when they have power, they're not going anywhere. And they know that they do maintain that power on the kind of foot soldier level. And this is how they've always been. It, it, it's very it's a very communistic way of approaching things. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, and and you're right. They, it, it, of course, you know, President Trump had like all of his extremely diverse the way we think of the word diversity, his extremely diverse hires, his a lot of his firsts, a lot of the uh, uh, people of color. You know, I hate that term. Uh, and LGBTs that he appointed to high-level positions, all of that got ignored by the press. But of course, the day that he would get rid of this this evil philosophy, then they lose their minds and uh, and and revert to the their old saying, you know, he's a fascist, he's a racist. It's all, I mean, it's all cultural Marxism and it looks like madness to us and it looks uh, so irrational and everything else, but it's all by design. And when you understand Marxism, especially cultural Marxism, you understand that this, this is exactly what they do. This is exactly what's going on. Do you think that all of this diversity, equity, inclusion, training that you write so cleverly about in your new book um, and everything that that is is being imposed on us in this way is that their top line argument is, oh, we have to break down these walls to eliminate racism and bigotry. Right. But doesn't all of this training actually create 
racism and hostility and bigotry because you're being forced into it. You're being forced to see people based on the, the color of their skin and not by the content of their character. And it's actually generating real antagonism between the races, which, by the way, is their point. So when you were, you actually, the book opens with you going through diversity training, very, very funny. Um, But when you were going through this, and as you've researched and written about it, is that what you're seeing, which is their end goal? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And it's, it's, uh, they don't even really try to hide it, it seems like anymore. You know, uh, it, 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 all of this, of course, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out that all this does is create hatred and division. You look at studies from the 1990s, even the 1970s about Americans' perception of, of race in this country. And you look at studies where they, where they surveyed black Americans and they felt America that, that they experienced less racism in the seventies and the nineties than in 2022. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously that's not the case because uh, America has only become, you know, more diverse, more tolerant and less racist, all parts of the country. But the perception of racism because of the messaging in the Democrat party and the media is at an all time high. And they're fed obviously um, completely false and skewed statistics. This is the critical race theorist, DEI consultants, bread and butter, you know, take, um, you know, police shootings and police violence is, was their number one, target and has been for uh, since since George Floyd all the data is skewed all the all the messaging is is messed up but it's it's playing on uh, emotions and with the, the the cultural marxist playbook which of course was was uh, it wasn't the, uh, the economic argument of 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 the Soviet Union it was more the chinese model was to divide people into groups and and convince them that one group has more resources than the other uh, convince them that one group is out to get them divide them, mobilize a coalition of minority groups to dismantle the system and assume power. Uh, this is straight out of the Maoist revolution. Uh, and we, we watch this through the, the economic argument for communism. This is why we talk about cultural Marxism. The econo- economic argument obviously failed with the collapse of the Soviet Union. And when that happened, the, the academics, the true believers, retreated back to university to figure out how they can achieve their goals and that was, of course, through this, these, through race, gender, sexuality. Instead of arguing that, uh, you know, it's not a workers, <laughs> what we're seeing now in our society is not a workers' revolution like it was in the Soviet Union. It is the elites punching down. Yes, it is not the the bottom trying to rise up. Oh, that, and they're using it by weaponizing these things. That's such an important point. It's um, yeah, I've I've seen this written about, but I think it's so true that the neo-Marxist revolution we're going through is both, it's both uh, sort of Soviet, it's Marxist in the sense that it's top-down, but it's also Maoist in the sense that it's bottom-up with the kids and the youth movement and, and all of that. So it's the two aspects coming together and squeezing the rest of us normal Americans right in the middle and the use of the lies and projection, accusing us of what they themselves are doing and guilty of. They, they've weaponized that. They've got the amplification of the culture and the, the propaganda press. So they're able to amplify this, have it be a huge echo chamber and silence anybody who might disagree. When you were going through that diversity training, Chadwick, did you feel like you could raise your hand and disagree or or did you just sit there in stony silence and take notes for your book 
<laughs> I sat there in, in, in stony silence and, and, and for my book. And, and so I was at um, a diversity training for the NYPD at the, at the police academy, the large new police academy in Queens. So, so the, the, the students were incoming, they were cadets, they're incoming NYPD officers. And what I found was as they're being lectured, this one specifically was an LGBT sensitivity course that they're required to take. Every police officer for many, many years has been required to take this course. Um, I talked to detectives who've been on the force for 20 years and they were like, oh yeah, I remember taking that course. Um, But my impression was that everyone in the room was, I don't think there was a homophobe at all in in the room. Everyone was uh, pretty um, having a good time. They were kind of eager to learn. They were kind of what I think of as most of the NYPD, you know, despite not having gone to Harvard or Berkeley, they were well-intended, intelligent uh, people. And uh, to see them being lectured by a bunch of people about how the NYPD is homophobic and how we have these problems and have this problem here and there, I just was sort of on the side of the cadet. Like, I don't know. I just sat back. I I didn't feel like I could interject. It wasn't my place because I was a reporter, but um, I just thought, you know, I don't think that these kids, I don't think this is going to apply to these officers. Uh, and, and yet none of this um, DEI training, especially the one I attended, the LGBT sensitivity, uh, none of that goodwill and, and that the NYPD has shown to a lot of these diversity groups and continues to pays off. Uh, the NYPD, if you recall, just got banned from gay pride parade because uh, gay pride parades are no longer about gay people. They're about intersectionality and cultural Marxism. So because George Floyd, who was heterosexual died while in police custody now, uh, you know, in Milwaukee, in Minneapolis, now uh, the NYPD can't march in gay pride parades, including gay cops. Uh, So none of that, uh, what once used to be maybe something well-intentioned has been subsumed into the larger Marxist goal. You know, there's no such thing as just the gay pride parade. Now it's the Black Lives Matter gay pride trans pride parade. And and pretty soon, who knows what else will be added to it. Are we losing our entire system? I mean, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans are very good, thoughtful, kind, generous, giving people who don't see sexuality, who don't see gender necessarily, who don't see race you know, and all of this is being uh, deliberately done to drive wedges and create divisions and hate and fear so that the communists can actually slam through their agenda. They have us fighting each other and seeing each other as other rather than coming together as Americans. You know, our, our whole slogan in this country is e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And they have turned that on its head and it's out of one, many. Because that's what they need. They need to divide in order to conquer. So my question is, are we losing our entire system, entire generations because of this nonsense? I have to believe, I have to be an optimist. Uh, and, and I hope that's not naively so. But I have to believe that, that the pendulum will swing back. Uh, unfortunately, I never think it swings back far enough. But I have to believe that it, it will. Um, and I also just have to remember that that real life, real American life isn't Twitter. Twitter is not real, you know, and, and, and the things you see on the news doesn't necessarily paint a portrait of on the ground, real life in this country. You know, sure. You can live in a place like New York city where I do, or some liberal city and, and things seem kind of wacky and crazy and you're surrounded by nut jobs. But then again, that's not even the play, not even the case necessarily. And when you travel around this country and you're hanging around everyday people, we are still, a good, decent 
people who are, there's much more that unites us than divides us. No matter the forces, the, the, the impossibly powerful and wealthy forces that, that want to see that destroyed, uh, I don't think it necessarily works on the ground level. You're always going to have the 15% or so of people who are just wacky revolutionary activists who want to cause so many problems and destroy things. But still, the majority of these people, uh, people in this country are good, kind, intelligent human beings and they um understand and see each other's humanity uh despite being told that you know you should hate and you should uh um see each other as other and different and and give special treatment to one group over another do not allow the cultural marxists to hijack your life your family your community your psyche do not allow them to do that And part of the weapon that you should have in your arsenal is this really fun, but also really important book. It is out now. It's called, So You've Been Sent to Diversity Training, Smiling Through the DEI Apocalypse. The author is my good friend and the absolutely brilliant and fabulous Chadwick Moore. His website is chadwickmoore.com. The book is available everywhere, Amazon, wherever you get your books. Please go buy it, read it. You'll have a lot of belly laughs, but you'll also learn a lot too. You can read his brilliance at spectatorworld.com. And Chadwick, it's always such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Such a pleasure. You bet. Okay, guys, welcome back. Time now for the end of the week email bag. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is our address if you want to sound off. Nick writes about one of the absolute worst people to ever darken the door of American politics. He says, was Hillary Clinton questioned about the Russia probe? We know from testimony that it was approved by her. If she were questioned, I assume that she lied. Then why is she not being charged with lying to the FBI? Thanks. Well, thank you for the email, Nick. Um, Let's address some of this here, okay? Crooked has an amazing ability to evade all responsibility for her many crimes, doesn't she? It's almost like she's part of a corrupt system that has protected her for decades, you know? Crooked has been permitted to get away with everything that she has done over the years, from Whitewater to Vince Foster to smearing Lewinsky, to Benghazi, to her private email server, to wiping clean that server and erasing tens of thousands of emails when they were under subpoena, to launching the Russia hoax, targeting her political opponent and working to undermine the sitting president who beat her fair and square because she's such a hellacious, unlikable person, to, you know, on and on. Her crimes never end, right? Now, as far as I know... The woman has not been questioned by the FBI about the Russia hoax, which was her creation. She didn't just approve it. This was dreamt up in that dark noggin of hers, and this was her criminal baby. She was questioned by the FBI about her email server and the classified material on it, remember? And James Comey infamously said that she was in violation and very sloppy, but that she wouldn't be charged. But beyond that, I don't think she has been questioned about the Russia hoax. And of course, none of us are surprised, given how deeply corrupt it all is, and the fact that they were all in on it. 
the entire FBI leadership, from Comey to Strzok and Page and all of them, they were all in on it. So why would they pursue Mrs. Clinton? Of course she's going to skate, like Hunter Biden's about to skate. It's all completely corrupt, and we're going to have to raise it to the ground and start all over, or the country will be no better than a tin pot dictatorship, and we're getting there pretty fast. So thank you, Nick. Jan writes on the same topic. She says, as a taxpayer who involuntarily funded the Mueller investigation, I want my portion refunded to me, Mrs. Clinton. Exactly, Jan. Exactly. Where does Trump go to get his reputation back? And where do we go to get our taxpayer money back? I want to know. Thanks so much, guys, for all of these great emails. Keep them coming. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Also, thanks so much for being here today and for checking out our great sponsors. Have a fantastic weekend, and I will see you right back here on Monday with another important and fabulous show. Be well. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.